All right, so uh, I have a few preliminary points. I want to try to say all these preliminary points in five minutes um, because I know we want to get into what we're talking about. Uh, preliminary point number one um, is the format. So as it contains the format of how we're doing this, I talked to Paul about this yesterday. Um, there's a part of me, and I was telling Jeff this this morning, there's a part of me that wishes I could go back and scratch the whole thing and start, start from scratch and, and lay out an, a logical argumentation or a logical teaching uh, on this topic. Um, but I'm not doing that for a couple reasons. One, because, frankly, that would be a lot more work. <laughs> Can I be honest and say that? Uh, that would be a lot more work to come at it from that perspective. But two, uh, I think that this will then, because I'm coming at it from the way we're coming at it as a response... I think that that might better illustrate for you what you might actually encounter in the world, right? You hear people say things, how do you respond? And I noticed on Thursday night that the majority of the questions that people had were, how do we respond to this? And so I didn't mention that yesterday, but I was thinking about that afterwards, like later that day. Coming at it this way, actually, I think better illustrates uh, an example to follow. Does that make sense? Okay. Okay. Number, number two, uh, I, I, I mentioned this last week, mentioned again, try to say it as quickly as possible, and I think Paul would share this. I mentioned last week, mentioned again, there, there's a part of me that just feels burdened in bringing this up. It's not like I experienced glee in talking about this topic. Would you agree with that? Okay, so I, it's, not that, it's not that approach. There's not a ravenous, I'm so happy I'm battling, I mean, no, that's not my, my mindset, and I do feel burdened when I come at these things. Uh, the last th- a few things, real quickly, again, I'm trying to do this as quick as possible. Um, so those are the pre-pre-thoughts, now we're to the pre-thoughts. So we had the two pre-pre-thoughts, now we've got pre-thoughts. The pre-thoughts that I might repeat each week are these, number one, and we're, when we're thinking about responding to people, um, listen to people in love, Right? Uh, this is hard for many of us to do, especially that first word I just said, which was what? Listen. Okay? Listen to people. Uh, let's be honest. When you're in a conversation with somebody and they're, all they're doing is preparing their argument back, can you tell that usually? Yeah. Yeah. Now, you want people, you, if you believe you have truth that you want to share, and you want them to listen to you, and so I'm saying this just experientially. I think I could probably come up with a very biblical argument for this, but I'm just speaking out of experience. I, I have found that if you want people to listen to you, if you start by just listening to them, when it's time for you to talk, they're so much more apt to hear what you have to say if you've been respectful and kind and really listened to what they have to say, what's on their heart. Many people, that what they're saying when it regards this topic, they genuinely, from the depths of their being, believe these things, right? Now, we can make all kinds of statements about all kinds of things in regards to this, but you've got to understand there's a lot of people that genuinely believe what they're saying, and they're, they're, they're passionate about it. And if, if you just come in guns a-blazing every single time, they're not going to listen to you for the most part. Would you? Does that make sense? And, and like I said, if you've ever been in an argument even with your spouse, <laughs> and, and their, their whole goal, like if they're just 
creating a list of rebuttals for everything that you're saying, you can see that in their eyes, right? It's like, like you just see it like up, you know, and then you see them formulating. In fact, there's been times in my life, Charity would attest to this, where because I find it important to listen, but I also want to have a rebuttal sometimes, I have literally at different points had a pad of paper that was close to me, and while she was talking, I went, and started jotting down. She's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm sorry. Um, so listen, listen. Uh, it's got to be, and it's got to be genuine, right? People can tell when you're not listening genuinely, like really listen to uh, what they're saying. I, I think as well, uh, listen, because genuine listening can also help you identify the real issues, what's really the problem, which brings me to my second pre-point, which is, the, ma- the main issue that we're talking about isn't the main issue, okay? What we're talking, this issue is a secondary issue to the main issue. The main issue is, it just, well, let me put it this way. The main issue in your life isn't your lack of forgiveness towards a neighbor. That's a secondary issue to something else. The main issue in your life uh, isn't your lack of faithful reading and meditating on the Word of God. That's, that's a secondary, that, that's a problem, but that's not the main issue, right? That's a result of something else that's going on in you. Uh, the main issue in your life isn't your addiction or the porn looking that you're doing or the laziness that you're uh, acting out or your anger problems. Those are all secondary issues to something else. Those are all fruits on a tree. Um, the main issue is their relationship, your relationship with God the Father. I'm going to say this. I'm going to read how I wrote it because I don't want to miss a point here. The main issue is their relationship with God the Father, how it's demonstrated in the knowledge of the person of Jesus as made manifest by the work of the Spirit and revealed by the apostles and the prophets, the all of Scripture. That's the main issue. Relationship with the Father as demonstrated in the Son and made it clear and manifest, revealed by the Spirit, and then written down practically by the apostles and the prophets. That's the main issue. Okay, All these other issues are secondary issues. In fact, I think it's important sometimes to bring it back to that issue because that's the real issue. Number three, and this one's just a statement, only God's Spirit changes the heart. Your argumentations are not what's going to change that person's heart. That may be an avenue through which that the Spirit uses to bring about that change, but it's only the Spirit of God that changes the heart, and so we need to pray for people. In fact, I would encourage you, while you're listening, be prayerfully listening, loving them, prayerfully listening. Lord, help me to hear what they're saying and pay attention to what they're saying, and you can do that, right? Lord, help me to really hear what this person is saying in this moment. Lord, help me to have that response that is best in this moment. And Lord, I pray that your spirit would speak to their heart, not just me to their ears, but the spirit to the heart. Does that all make sense? Okay. So those are my pre-pre-thoughts and my pre-thoughts. I did it as fast as I could. What I'm going to do is, for those that are visiting, I had, there was a, a man who used to be a pastor of this church. Uh, all of you know this. You've heard this. You guys are maybe hearing this for the first time. He was a pastor of this church, uh, left this church for other reasons. Uh, now this person is out um, at another church and has publicly come out supporting the LGBTQ spectrum of things and had a big, long post about it, but then some argumentations for it. 
Let me say that this is, there's a fine line that I had to wrestle with. Normally, when you see somebody doing something, you go to that person, right? I have gone to that person in the past many, many times in the process of them going away. There's another precedent that a pastor has um, that the scriptures clearly call out is calling out teaching that is false. So one of the things that I'm doing is I'm going to present the argument. I'm not going to present the person. I'm going to ignore the person in this context, present the argumentation. Does that make sense? Because my goal is not to belittle or demean or anything this particular person. Paul the Apostle many times had people that he would call out and say, don't teach the way these people teach. These are false teachings. And so I have a responsibility. I believe, I do, have a responsibility. Now, if your question right now is, I don't know if that's a responsibility. We could talk about that. I'm, let's start with that assumption. I believe that I have a responsibility to call out teaching that is false that's in our community, especially if it's coming from someone who used to teach here. Yeah. You know, the, the catalyst, I think, that really, like, sparked it, though, Matt, for you and I to say we need to really call this out was that people are still friends with, with this pastor on Facebook, saw the posts, saw the comment threads, and asked people in the church, I think even asked you, Matt, I don't understand how to answer this argument. Mm-hmm. He's using the Bible. Yeah. And, and that's like, whoa, wait, we need to do something here, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So it's, I'm getting ready to click this button on my clicker here, and it's going to put up a screenshot of this person's post. I've taken the name out, but I'm going to present this is what the person said. Um, I'm not doing this casually, right? I wouldn't do this flippantly or quickly. I wouldn't, too many people, I think, try to do this knee-jerk reaction, Um, If you have an issue with me doing this, please come up after we're done and say, I don't know if you should have done that. I'd love to talk to you about why I did it and consider. I'd I'd love to hear what you think. Um, But uh, through prayer and consult with another pastor, um, I've come to the conclusion I think that I have a responsibility. I believe I have a responsibility to address this. Okay, so that's all laid out. If you have questions about that, you can ask later. So this first game, I said, there's no way that I can say what is coming next without offending someone. So this is your invitation to keep scrolling. I really don't mean to offend those around me, but I can't remain completely silent because my silence is not neutral. When we don't talk about these things, others will just fill in what they think. I believe that sexual identity is a very real thing, and the Bible is accepting of everyone in a committed, loving relationship. I write this because this is not what I always thought, and I fully expect that there are others out there who might read this, that have questions as well. First one is probably, how can you say that? Doesn't the Bible condemn homosexuality? His response, I believe the Bible rightfully condemns abuse in all its forms, but I don't think the Bible condemns people for having a different sexual identity. I think there are more people around us that need to hear this because they are feeling scared and rejected. They are often at high risk of self-harm or abuse from others, and our silence allows them to continue to suffer in silence. See the comments below for thoughts and reasons that I have found persuasive. I know that I can't say this without upsetting people, but I'm just saying that these are things I have found compelling. You might find them compelling as well. 
uh, I thought one of the ways we could address this is by, before I just jump in, is asking you some questions about this. Now, I'm not asking you to, to, to go into a full-blown 10-minute argumentation about the things that you see there. What I'm getting ready to ask you, I'm, I'm going to ask you to keep a short, short response, but specifically I'm asking what things are said that you see to be problematic? What things does he say that are problematic, potentially? Yeah. Oh, didn't even, yeah. That's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. Okay. That's what you were going to say to me? Yeah. Yeah. He actually switches gears, which is common in, in debate. He's, he's really crafty about this, but he says, doesn't the Bible condemn homosexuality? He asks a strong man question. Mm-hmm. Does not answer that question. I believe the mm. Bible rightfully condemns abuse. So he he switched gears, mm. and at the end of it, maybe somebody who isn't paying attention or isn't particular doesn't have their homework done says, "I didn't hear anything bad in that. I'm pretty sure it's okay." And, mm-hmm. and, but it was very crafty. It was cleanly committed. But let me, while you're, I know there's a couple more hands getting to go up, I'll let you say something. A, a side question to this, I'm, this is, this is going to freak some of you out. What do you, what do you hear in here that's, that's positive and good? Anything? But you don't have to answer, you can go back and answer the first one. Yeah. Yeah. Is, is that a bad thing? To be concerned about people? That's not bad. Yeah. No, it's not. But I would add that in and amongst all the eyes, it sets us up to be those people of Jesus. Mm-hmm. As if they need mediation, as if they need John Greenhall to help them through that. But they really, like you said, first point, need Christ in their lives. And, it, and it, it's almost as if he's arguing. I need to be that person for them, but we need to be that person for them, so God can help us be that person for them. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have something, Joe? Well, I think the reason with the, because uh, he talked about switching over to rightfully condemned abuse in all its forms. I think the reason he says that is because some of those major passages people cite as condemning homosexuality aren't really condemning homosexuality, they're condemning like a, a gang rape, like Genesis 19 and Judges 19. I think that's, that might be what he's referring to. That's, that, that's one of the things he brings up, and we'll talk about that. Well, and even if it, even whether or not, whether or not it is, even if it is crafty, may not mean that he thought it was crafty. He may be just speaking out of what he believes to be true. Approves. Hmm. That's a great observation. Now, before we go much further, this is obviously complicated, isn't it? And and I, I don't, for the record, I don't disagree with what Josiah is saying about I sense good intentions here. I, I'm 
I wouldn't disagree with that, to be honest with you. I, I think that people, now, we could talk about, can you have somebody that has good intentions that it ends up not being good for the person? That would be an interesting conversation to have. But th- th- this is part of that listening thing I was talking about. If I automatically jump to, you're terrible, Am I going to have a conversation with this guy? No. Right? In fact, not, not to be manipulative, but I think something that's very real is to say, sometimes in those moments, a, a great response to this, if he didn't say anything beyond that, would be to say, I appreciate your care for people. Might be a great way to start off that conversation. Right? I, I can appreciate your care for people. Um, they call it the sandwich method. I appreciate your care for people, but da 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 da. But I still see within you. I think that you desire to find truth. <laughs> see the sandwich? I sandwich it in. I think that's a good way to talk to people. Sometimes is just to have that, not to be manipulative, but genuinely. I think that you're speaking to somebody. It looked like you were getting ready to say something. I saw you grab your mic. Yeah, I was. Well, I just was actually. You just pretty much said everything I was going oh, to okay. say. I really did agree. Like I have only met. This guy, a few times. Mm-hmm. And everything, every experience I've had with him, quiet, soft-spoken, kind dude. I'm just like, this guy's a really nice guy. So I agree. Like, his intentions are, in everybody I know that has grown up thinking one way and has switched to thinking differently about this, all of my friends, at least, that have done that, it came from a place of seeing people suffer anguish anxiety in their head, depression, and a compassion to address that. It was, it was the wrong direction to address that compassion, but that's, I agree, so. Yeah. All right, last comment. Oh, we'll get two more comments. You and then you. That's an interesting point. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so apparently there's some places where the Bible would wrongfully do something is what he's saying. But at least right. the possibility that could... Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting... Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. It's interesting. Um, yeah. Now, I will say, uh, before I take your... And then that'll be the last one. Um... We, we have an unfair advantage in a context like this because we're, we're taking his words and we're just picking them apart, right? And we wouldn't, we wouldn't like that if somebody was doing that to us. Um, but I'm, I'm hoping that the end result of this is for us to think biblically about these things. That's what I want to point you to. But I think well, one way to, to really listen, sometimes it's easier to listen when it's up here. But when you're in the moment, it's not as easy to listen that way, is it? Um, and it's easy as well to say, now when you said this, now, if you go, when you said this, that, that's what it sounded like. They go, no, 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 that's not what I meant. Give them the opportunity to clarify statements. You would want that as well, right? So, like, that's a great example of one, and he may be, but if you went, hey, it sounds like you're, they go, no, 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 I, I'm, what I meant was, you know, you, you, in conversation, you give people opportunities to clarify what they mean by those things. Um, John, and then we're going to. Scripture. 
So the world at large would would hang you if you brought a football to a baseball game and said, I think this is how we should play from now on. But the world at large thinks that scripture should be changeable. And, and all I want to say on that point is that either you're in or you're out. And if you're in, it's got to be all of it. If you're out, you don't have to live your life by it. Mm -hmm. But mixing the world and scripture yeah. never works out for either party. It just doesn't. And one of the tricky things about that is that many of these people, they would argue that this is what it always taught, um, which opens up a door of opportunity to say, let's, let's go back 200 years, let's go back 500 years, let's go back 1,000 years, let's go back, be, not, not just there, but let's look at the history. We've got 2,000 years of history of the church. We can say, they, I think that C.S. Lewis calls it temporal snobbery, I think is the title, um, like Sometimes it's easy for us in our right now to be snobs over people from 100 years ago, thinking that we know better just because we're now and they were then. And that's not always the case. In fact, I found that a lot of people then were way smarter than we are now. Uh, I'd like to offer, so there's about four or five things here that are rebuttals that I would like to offer here. Um, the first one uh, you guys have talked about, I'm going to click over to this one. Um, one of the things that I... This is a foundational statement that he's making, okay? I believe that. So his first statement of something he believes, I believe that sexual identity is a very real thing, and the Bible is accepting of everyone, so there's two parts to that argument. Do you see those two parts? I believe sexual identity is a real thing, and the Bible is accepting of everyone. I think that automatically I'm like, he's, he's introduced terminology that I want to go, What's the basis for that? Does that make sense? Now, I'm not going to throw that up as a major rebuttal. I don't think I have it as one of mine in my notes here. But that was one of the first things that I thought. I was like, sexual identity, what is that? What, what, I mean, where, where are you basing? And he says it's a very real thing, right? Right off the bat, there's this foundational problem that I would say, what are you basing that on? What are you saying? Right, we talk. You hear a lot of that now: gender identity, sexual identity, all those things. What, what do you? What is that? What are you talking about? Right. Um, I'm gonna let you say something about that, but then I wanted to get to the my first real one. Did you have something to add on that? No. The last line you just said. What do you mean by that? Yeah. You have to. Like, what do you mean by that? Yeah. Which goes back to my asking questions, like listening and asking questions. Now, when you said, what are you? What are you talking about when you say that? When you say that, I want to. It sounds like you're talking about this, but what do you mean by those things? Let me hit the next one here. I think I have it highlighted. Oh, right before that, I didn't. I forgot to get the highlighting on it. I believe the Bible rightfully condemns abuse in all its forms. I wouldn't disagree with that. Is abuse in its? If we're assuming what abuse is, is abuse wrong? I think for the most part, if somebody said I think abuse is wrong, I wouldn't go. No, no, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, I, I, it's not. But. John had a good point. He's like, I think, but I don't think the Bible condemns people having a different, and there's that, that terminology again, a different sexual identity. And I think there's a little bit of a uh, revealing of what he thinks because he says this homosexuality, I believe it this, but I don't think it condemns. So there's this doesn't condemn, doesn't condemn. So there's a connection here between those two terms. Do you see that? Uh, homosexuality, sexual identity, those things. And he's saying, I don't think the Bible condemns this. We're going to get into the biblical arguments later. 
um, because he goes into some biblical arguments. Uh, Joe alluded to one of them. I will say that one of the things I noticed in all this, and I'm not going to bring it up right now. If you'd like to know what I'm talking about, you can I'd, I'd talk about it privately. There, there is another. Do you guys know what the word ideology means? A view of the world, an idea view, a study of like how an idea plays out. Uh, there are ideologies that almost word for word sound just like this. You know, if you find, here's a teaching and you find another teaching and they match almost word for word, at some point you go, I think those are the same teaching. <laughs> Does that make sense? If you've got a teaching and it says this and you've got somebody else teaches this and it says this and you go, wow, those are almost the same. In fact, down to phrases, you go, that's, there's a connection between those two things. There are ideologies that, that focus in on the key worst sin in the world is abuse. And in fact, one of the things that they do from that is to identify the, really the only thing that remains sin is if, it's, if abuse is part of it. Now, there are people that believe that. You see that played out in our world when people talk about that focus on victims, right? Perpetrators, victims. Is, is a perpetrator of a crime terrible? Yes. Are there victims in the world? Yes. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But that is not always the primary thing that we're always to focus on. Those are important things. But are there sins that aren't abuse? Are there sins that don't have a direct victim? Yes. Okay? If you're like, what do you mean? We can talk about that later. I'm trying to stay on task. Um, let me get another one here. I'm trying to go through this one quicker than I, I, I should. Be. I want to get to the biblical arguments. So here's the first argument. Experience of sound Christian teachings should show good fruit. Not bad fruit. Non-affirming beliefs about same-sex relationships and transgender people contribute to serious harm in LGBTQ people's lives. From the inclusion of Gentiles in the church to the abolition of slavery, the church has a long history of revisiting the biblical text in light of compelling evidence that prevailing interpretations do not align with Jesus' teaching in Matthew 7 that good trees bear good fruit. Now, before we pick that apart, what's he saying? Yeah. He's saying that the definition of good is different now than it was. Mm, that's, yeah, that's part of it, isn't it? What's, it? what's he saying? Before we pick it apart, just what is he saying? Okay. Yeah. I think he's saying also, I would agree, if, if what you say to somebody or what you believe is taken by them as harmful, that's bad fruit. And if he doesn't define what bad fruit is, but he is saying that if, if what you're doing can be perceived as harmful, then it can't be good. Okay. And Bass, what, what's he saying? Yeah. Gentiles in the church to 
Joe? He's claiming that these people are inherently their sexual identity or for trans people it's still the same thing, gender identity. That is an inherent part of them. Mm-hmm. It cannot be separated from them, hmm. right? It's, it's who they are, it's hmm. an identity, right? So what he's saying oh. is basically evidence is the only good way to deal with these things is to affirm it. Right? Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I, I hadn't thought about that, but that's look at the examples it gives. Gentiles and and slavery. Something about what they are, who they are in those times. That's yeah. And I think you're exactly right. He's making two arguments. The first one's what you said, that this is who they are, and you can't really change that. The second argument he is saying is the church has a history of having to go back and see what did God really say. Here's what we used to say. We need to make sure that we're saying what God says. So, for example, like excluding Gentiles or slavery is good. Oh, wait, no, it's bad. He's saying because of my first argument that this is really a good thing, these are who they are, and the church has historically taught that this is bad, we need to revisit what did the Bible say and say, oh, okay, we, we, we missed it. We missed it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is yeah. Which is where I'm gonna go. Um, yeah. I want I want to go and pick apart his interpretation of history as well. I I I don't think I would make that my primary. Like my my flesh wants to pick apart his interpretation of history. Like abolition of slavery. I would make. I I think that people much smarter than I am have made a very compelling presentation that historically the thing that demolished slavery wasn't going against Christianity in the church, but was going for, it was Christianity in the church that brought about those things. Now, I'm not saying that there weren't people who claimed to be Christians that held to those things. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that if you really go back to the things, what's the guy, what's the guy that, uh, that made a movie about him? with the, Wilberforce. Yeah, William Wilberforce, right? Um, I, I want to do that. I saw John Greenhouse hand, but I, I want to I go to, because we're going to run out of time, I want to go to uh, what Audrey pointed out. Let's go to Matthew 7. He cites Matthew 7. Let's go and let's forget everything for a minute and just ask ourselves what Matthew 7 is talking about. Um, I'm going to go to Matthew chapter 7. To do this justice, we would go back through the whole thing, and this is actually part of a sermon Starting with Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, it's a, the Sermon on the Mount. So there's a lot of other things part of this. This is one chunk of that, verses 15 through 20. I'm going to read it for you. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to look at it yourself. See it with your own eyes. Don't take my word for it. Look at it. I'm going to read the first verse, and I want to ask you, what's the context of what Jesus is teaching about right in this little chunk? Verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So already, what's the context of this teaching? Caution. False teaching, right? There's, you got to watch out for false teaching. And false 
teachers specifically. And here's the truth about false teachers. Now, what he says next is not necessarily about the false teaching. It could be, but I think it's primarily about the false teachers. Okay? Um, because inwardly they're ravenous wolves. You will recognize them, not, not necessarily the teaching. Do you catch that? You'll recognize the teacher, the false teacher, by their fruits. Okay? Um, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Uh, so every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the de- diseased tree bears bad fruit. In this context, he's saying the, the, the teacher, the false teacher, is like a fig tree, right? Someone that's claiming to be a, big, a fig tree, but actually they're producing thorns. If you're producing thorns, are you a fig tree? No, you're a thorn bush. <laughs> okay, that's, that's what he's saying. Then he talks about healthy or bad. He says, a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. So again, he's talking about, but remember, it's, it's how he recognizes them. Okay? The Bible actually says this, a similar thing about this a lot with teachers, is look at their lives, look at their manner of life. Look at how they're living. Look at what they're doing. Are they, right? Are they producing things that are good or things that are evil? What are the things that they're doing? Um, Jesus actually talks in this, in this passage, somebody talks about fruit and what fruit looks like, fruit of following after Christ. What does that look like? What does bad fruit look like? He talks about those things. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Recognize, there it is, recognize them. Not, not the teaching necessarily, but specifically them, right? I would say that what this passage is teaching us that's different than what he's saying. He's saying, he's trying to use this to say, hey, if I teach something is a sin, and that causes this person to feel terrible and possibly want to harm themselves because this is such a terrible thing, he's saying that's bad, that I, my teaching produced something bad in them. Okay, that's what he's saying this means. I would say what this is talking about, because it says recognize them, I would say what this is actually talking about is how do you recognize teachers that you can trust? Look at their life. What are, what are they doing in their life? What, what life are they, what are they producing in their life? Are they demonstrating love to people? Are they demonstrating kindness to people? And this is a very important thing because who you listen to, sometimes you've got to take a step back and say, what kind of person is this? Right? That's what I think, I believe, not just think, I believe this text is saying because that it says this is how you will recognize them. Does that make sense? So you can go to the source of the teaching many times and see what, what kind of person. Obviously, there's a whole other set of issues when it comes to recognizing false teaching. The Bible talks about a lot of those. First Timothy chapter 1 is a huge one. talks about teaching the law and using it lawfully. There's all kinds of other things. But this particular one, Jesus is saying, look at the person. That's not the same thing that he's saying. He's saying, look at the teaching. If the teaching produced good things. I'm going to tell you what. John, would that work with John the Baptist? No, really. Would that work with John? Yeah, I mean, he's, he's saying things, and people are responding many times to his teaching going, what are you saying that to us for? Right? Or as my son pointed out on the way to uh, church this morning, there's a lot of times where Jesus, now he used the phrase roasts. Not really, don't really know what that means. I remember roast from way back. Jesus a lot of times roasts Pharisees, right? Don't be like them. They're evil. 
right? Don't be like them. They're evil. Yeah, I mean, you think the Pharisees are like, I feel so good now and affirmed. I mean, he was doing the opposite of affirming the Pharisees. So, so I, I would argue that there's a lot of examples. That's just two that just off the top of my head. There's two examples of some teaching where the teaching itself didn't affirm the person and make them feel better. So this text, I don't believe, is saying that because that would cause a lot of other issues. Does that make sense? All right. What do you want to say on that? So it's a, re- it's a really subtle shift. It's super subtle. What he's saying is the impact of this teaching, historical teaching that the Bible, that the church has done on the LGBT ideology, that it impacts who you think you are as, an, as your identity. And that's a sin is what is being said here. There's a reason why the, the guy who posted this thinks that historically. If we would have gone back 400 years ago, that idea wouldn't flow with anybody. But over the course of the 1700s and 1800s, something shifted so that people now start to think about their identity versus outside of themselves, like I am made by a god. And if you want to, I want to rec- I've gone, over the next few weeks, I'm going to recommend certain books to read that will help you understand how in the world do you shift from this, understanding like the bare, what this text says on the surface in Matthew 7, to somehow seeing it's all about me, or like someone's how they feel, all about my feelings and, and how, who, all of that. How do you get there? Carl Truman wrote a book called Strange New World. You can listen to it for free on Hoopla. If you go and install the Hoopla app, connect it to your library account, he will walk through how in the world did we get to there because it's really, really interesting how you can just shift what this book, what the text that Jesus is saying here to being all about me and how I feel. Like, exactly. So, and I've got some other books I'll recommend, but that's really, it, it's hard to pick up on how in the world did we see that how I feel about what you taught is really what matters versus the content of your teaching itself, whether it's true or not. <laughs> Andrew, it looked like you were about to say something. We're out of time. I want to close. I know. I'm sorry. Uh, I want to close with uh, uh, just read a short text, and we're, we're going to close, okay? Listen, listen carefully. This is Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 1, starting with verse 4, says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah, came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations, a mouthpiece of God to the nations. Then I said, Jeremiah, 
I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I'm only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I'm only a youth. For to all whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my mouth or my words in your mouth. Now listen, this is the part I'm reading this for. See, I have set you this day, this youth, in this country, this little country, Israel. I have set you this day over, over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. One of the realities of our words in this world is very much like this. As you go through scripture, the words of people who are spokesmen for God, many, many times, in fact, maybe the majority of the time, is plucking up and breaking down and destroying and overthrowing, but it's always with the intent of building and planting. We're in that first part. It's going to be hard. But keep your eyes set on that goal of what God can do when false views are taken down, false ways of living. And start with yourself. Before you harp on what's out there, examine your own heart first and see, God, what needs to be plucked up and destroyed and overthrown in my own heart first? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to close this time by calling out to you, Lord. Let your word, your truth, whatever that is, stand supreme. Lord, if anyone, including ourselves, speak against or unclear about your truth and your words, God, I ask you, in the name of Jesus, that you would shut us up, close the mouths, stop the mouths of those who do not speak truth. But Lord, I pray that your truth would come through. If it needs to destroy and to tear down and to overthrow Lord, if those things need to happen, may your word have that effect. As you put the words into Jeremiah's mouth, let those be our words. But Lord, I pray that they would also build and plant. I ask this in the name of Jesus, that you would hear our prayer and bring it to fruition in our lives. In Christ's name, amen.